come into play. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. So we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you were just tuning in, we had an extended news roundup where we talked about the death of Justice Scalia for most of the conversation. And we found out what are some things that could happen if the Republican Party refuses to let President Obama appoint another justice. If you don't know who's on the show today, so far it is me, Stanley Fritz, with Selena Hill, Alyssa Fuchs, and Jackie Cohen, and now we are talking about the national heroin crisis in the United States of the Heroin America. Heroin so, America? I'm yes. sorry. Okay. Because when it's, when it's affecting white people, it's affecting America. When it's affecting black people, then it's a BET special. <laughs> so. Notwithstanding, it's been affecting black people for, mm, I don't know, 40 years. Mm-hmm. So, guys, um, in case you've been living under a rock or you just don't pay attention, back in mid-August, the White House released a plan that would pour $5 million into combating heroin heroin use and trafficking. This is a plan that followed all of a sudden, a, a, not a random, but a consistent spike in heroin use and overdoses in the last five years. So we're talking from between 2010 to 2015, there was a spike of heroin users. But unlike in the 1970s and 80s and 90s, and even in the early 2000s when heroin use was being done by people of color and we had all these special laws to lock people up for using heroin or for using crack and put them in there for as long as possible, the heroin epidemic was hitting a different demographic. All of a sudden, this beautiful heroin, as Pink Floyd would say, the drug that gave you the dopamine where you'd fall asleep standing up, but you would never fall completely over. You would dip to the bottom and pop right back up, but you'd still be asleep. The heroin that ravaged my community along with crack cocaine that had so many people going to jail, the heroin that Frank Lucas called the blue magic, the heroin that caused all these problems was all of a sudden bothering Becky. That's right. Becky put her Britney Spears CD down and she said, I don't want to hear Jonas Brothers. I want something to make me comfortably numb. So she found that nice blue magic, that nice heroin, and she took it and she got addicted. And her friend Johnny and Noah and Chet and Heath did too. And all of a sudden, these communities that never thought it was a problem, that fled the urban cities to get away from black people and all their drugs, they had a heroin epidemic. And it got so bad that during the New Hampshire primaries and the Iowa primaries, do you know what they were asking about? They weren't asking about Benghazi. They weren't asking about Barack Hussein Jaquan Obama. They were asking about heroin. What are you going to do about heroin? How are you going to address this? And all of a sudden, precincts and police stations that used to jump out of their, their skin to arrest black people and put them in jail are now letting kids who are using heroin in these white neighborhoods, of course, go to jail, spend the night, and then go to a rehab. They're not pressing charges because they say this heroin addiction is a sickness and you can't punish people with jail time because white. I mean, because it's not the right thing to do. So in this conversation, we will talk about this heroin epidemic. We will talk about how it's affecting these communities. We will talk about what things the government is doing, what the police are doing to address it. And we'll ask the question, what the hell was all this caring when black people were dying of heroin overdoses? Oh, wow. No, I mean, I mean, Stanley, you're, you're absolutely right um, to think about it when I used to think about heroin and you know some of my family members have been addicted it was something that you thought about you shouldn't do because you'll get arrested I don't think that we typically viewed it as a mental health illness or sickness it was a this is poor behavior this is illegal you'll get arrested but you're absolutely right there has been a new not only is heroin back into the national discourse but the way that we are addressing and approaching this issue is completely different we're talking about rehab centers we're talking about Congress 
talking about um, investing millions of dollars to help stop this crisis now that a lot of young people and a lot of white people are, are beginning to be, uh, become addicted. And I'm just like, how and when did they even beca- did this spread over to white America? Well, a big way that it spread was through prescription painkillers. Yep. Um, and especially through the 90s, things like Oc- OxyContin were prescribed like candy. heavily like candy and it, you can watch these videos um these like promo for doctors videos about why they should be using and prescribing oxycontin and they said it is not addictive it's not addictive it's not addictive feel free to prescribe it to your patients and then what they found out was only was not only was it addictive but it was very addictive and what was happening was people were patients were you know their prescriptions were running out and they were turning to other drugs eventually heroin to feed that addiction um so it was sort of a clear trajectory from these prescribed pills to heroin use absolutely i think the pharmaceutical industry as uh jackie pointed out or at least scratched the surface of had a big part in that i mean the reason doctors were pushing these pills is because the pharmaceutical industry was pushing the pills on the doctors and the doctors were getting kickbacks from the pharmaceutical industry so they wanted to prescribe the pills and how did white becky how did becky get a taste of the heroin for the first part she could afford health insurance well no i mean heroin didn't she didn't. Becky didn't go right to the heroin. Becky was home one day, and mommy and daddy weren't home. And Becky went into the medicine cabinet. And what did Becky find? Becky found some Percocets. So what did Becky do? Becky took a Percocet, and she went. Oh, wow, this is amazing. Oh. I never felt anything like this before. So then what happened next? Becky went to school. Becky went, oh, wait, let me find somebody who has some Percocets. So now Becky went around. Becky got some Percocets. Becky was buying Percocets from Johnny. And then Johnny got busted and Johnny went to jail. And now Becky couldn't get any more Percocets. And then guess what Becky found out? Jaquan? Heroin was available. Well, that's only if you're listening to the governor the of governor Maine. The governor of Maine, yeah. <laughs> um, then agree. Becky found out that heroin was available. And guess what else Becky found out? It was cheaper. It lasted longer. And it was stronger than the Percocets were. Right. So what did Becky do? Becky went and bought a bag of heroin. Becky also found out that she didn't have to put a needle in her arm to do it. She could smoke it or she could snort it. And that's when the game changed. And so I think that's a big portion of the story. Now... I don't think that we should get away from your original point, though, which is this idea that, oh, my God, now white America is dying of heroin crisis. Let's do something about it. Why didn't anybody do anything about it back in the 70s when Marvin Gaye was dying from heroin overdose, just to use one example, but where black people were dying all over the streets of Harlem from that? Nobody did anything because nobody cared. And you know the answer to that. And you know the reason. And you know it's based in race. And people want to be like, well, you know, it's not everything's about race. But guess what? This, it's about race. And guys, just to give you some context behind how bad the heroin epidemic is, as of 2011, 4.2 million Americans aged 12 or older, or 1.6%, have used heroin at least once in their lives. That means 5,927 people have died after using heroin in 2012. Also, if you're wondering about the demographics of heroin use because you think I'm just being hyperbolic, which I can be from time to time, the Center for Disease Control says males, non-Hispanic, whites, 18 to 25-year-olds, and people living in large metropolitan areas are the most risk for heroin addiction. Can I just add some more facts to that? So actually, um, we've seen between 2012 and 2013, heroin-related deaths jumped 39%. um, And the rate of heroin overdose deaths from 2002... From to 2013, nearly quadrupled, four times the number of deaths. 90% of first-time heroin users are white, uh, and uh, 75% of heroin addicts use prescription opioids.
opioids before they turn to heroin. Uh, and there are approximately 325 opioid-related deaths just in New Hampshire last year. The reason I mentioned New Hampshire, because you brought that up at the beginning, yes. people are asking these presidential candidates, what are we doing about the heroin addiction? And the reason why they're being asked about that specifically in New Hampshire is because of the large number of deaths. Uh, that's up 76 percent in uh nearly tripled since 2013. And just a fun fact, the number of non-white people who use heroin has been decreasing significantly. It decreased by over 30% in the last four years. And you know what else you're seeing also go up? Not just the rates of heroin addiction and abuse, but HIV is going up in the same communities. Why? Because people share needles when they do shoot up heroin, when they do make that jump from whatever reason they decide to make a jump from smoking it or snorting it, and they start using needles and they start sharing needles, and then HIV goes back on the rise again. Yeah. And, you know, one of my favorite um, actors, actually, and I kind of feel like a nerd for mentioning this, Corey Monteith. He was in the, oh, yes. the show I that. Um, Glee. Glee. He died of a heroin overdose. So did Philip Seymour Hoffman. I mean, this, yeah. this is like yep. a real issue. And I think what's what's disturbing to me is that I see the way people discuss this issue and it's been true forever and it's starting to change now. And that's, you know, that's why we wanted to discuss this now that it's affecting more and more white people. But there has been very little compassion for the people suffering from addiction in general. And it's been treated like, you know, a hot topic issue that we don't even want to touch. Like there's something you're a deviant and there's something wrong with you instead of, oh, maybe you're someone in need of help um, and medical assistance. And we're starting to see a shift in that dialogue now. And we're, you know, presumably because it's affecting more and more middle class white communities, um, there's been been a call for more compassion, which I think is a great thing. However, the fact that it's taken white bodies to die from this epidemic to get to that point of conversation is is upsetting. That's a very good point, Jackie. When we come back, we will start talking about the ways that we are trying to find new approaches to dealing with the heroin addiction. But we're going on a quick break, guys. Remember, this is Valentine's Day, so we're playing some love songs. This is Bruno Mars, Locked Out of Heaven, because Selena is locked out of Valentine's. Life I Deserve. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, we are talking about the heroin epidemic in the United States of America. And if you want to call with a question, a comment, or a concern, you can give us a call on our phone number. It is 212-650-6903. Or you can tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. If you're on Facebook and you're chatting, you're a chatty patty, hit us on Politically Preposterous because that's where all the conversation happens anyway. When we left off, we were talking about heroin, heroin addiction. But Jackie had made a point to say that people are now trying to find different ways to approach the issue because throwing people in jail is not going to solve the problem. And she did mention that this is happening a lot more probably because it's white bodies that are being affected. But nevertheless, we are looking for some solutions. So I want to talk about one of the solutions that has been happening in Europe that they use and see like and like talk about how they're starting to implement things like that over here so in some places in europe um like drugs are completely legal and what they do is they have these buildings where there's three floors the first floor you can just take like your drugs but under supervision of like doctors and everything else like that if you overdose they take you to the second floor where it's called will, insight just yes so you know. thank you they'll revive you and they'll give you an option they say hey you can go to rehab, it's on the third floor, or if you want, you can go back downstairs to the first floor and start doing your heroin. And the idea behind that is that, like, you you cannot criminalize heroin because, heroin addiction, because it's a disease, one, and two, it doesn't actually solve the problem. And you have all these people who are dying from overdose because they're trying to, as I used to say when I was in college, binge 
intake because they know it's illegal. And it makes more sense to have it in a controlled environment where you can help these people if it's available. Now in the U.S., instead of just putting someone in jail for five years for having heroin or selling heroin or taking heroin, now they're giving them the option to go to rehab. They're giving them options to go to disease control centers and to go to counseling. And I want to talk to you guys about what do you think are the next steps for making sure we're dealing with this in a more progressive way? Selena? Like you said, uh, Stanley, this is not a policing issue. This is a public health issue. That's number one. We need to change our dialogue around this issue. Again, another answer is treatment, rehabilitation, and recovery. Um, I, I think that that doesn't work when we're just sweeping and putting people in jails. Um, I think that another thing is maybe decriminalizing um, heroin, the drug. I know there's been a lot of calls for that. There's even been some calls, I guess, from the far left to just make the drugs legal um, overall and then just treat it um, in that same manner so this way I mean a lot, some, it's not necessarily making it legal it's just basically decriminalizing it which is different than making it legal when you make something legal it could be sold as a commodity in the market like alcohol is but if you decriminalize something you don't say hey you can have a pop-up heroin shop on the corner but you do say which is if you get caught with it you're not going to go to jail for it instead we are going to work on treatment options but you know before I, I did want to get into that but I wanted to mention something that I thought was quite interesting which doesn't get talked about a lot when you're talking about heroin addiction and potentially how to quell it so um, a annual report that was done by the World Drug Sorry, the United Nations World Drug Report found that Afghanistan's poppy fields have expanded 36 percent between 2012 and 2013. Here's a lot of things that people don't want to talk about. Right. What does that have to do with anything? Well, when you destabilize a government in a country like Afghanistan, like the United States has been doing, that leaves a situation where there is no government to stop people from growing large poppy fields, which is the plant, which is where heroin comes from to begin with. Now, this goes back all the way to the 80s. But if you want a little quick brief history lesson, the United States was not very happy with the fact that the Soviets were in Afghanistan. So the United States decided they were going to arm a bunch of people to fight against the Soviets called the Northern Alliance. Eventually, the Northern Alliance turned into the Taliban, attacked America. We sent troops there to fight the Taliban. And there was a further destabilization of the government under Karzai in the region of Afghanistan. Under this destable government, you have lots of people growing large poppy fields and there is nobody there policing them to shut these fields down. So now the fields are growing and the fields are growing and the fields are growing. And when there's more poppy plants, that means there's more opioid production. And when there's more opioid production, there's more importation of heroin into the United States. So just like the U.S. had its hand in destabilizing the Middle East, which we spoke about in lots of detail last week, the U.S. had a tan in destabilizing Afghanistan. And part of the way to fix this problem, aside from dealing with the addiction problems here at home, is to figure out a way to fix or stabilize the government that we destabilized to begin with in Afghanistan. Now, that's not going to completely stop the flow of heroin. But if there's a more stable government in Afghanistan that's able to quell some of these expanding poppy fields, then there'll be less poppies. And if there's less poppies, there'll be less opioids. Yeah. Even on a on a domestic level, how we treat heroin and how we classify it. I mean, heroin is a Schedule One drug. Do you know what else is a Schedule One drug classified as a marijuana. Schedule One drug? Marijuana. Marijuana. Marijuana is not highly addictive like heroin is. Heroin is highly addictive. That's why you say it's as addictive as heroin when you're talking about something that seems to be addictive because it is such an addictive drug. So when you're classifying them in the same way, what you're telling people 
is that they are equally as bad, right? And yeah. so if you smoke a joint, you know that you're not going to die, right? You're not going to kill yourself. It's not really, I mean, you might eat a lot of bad food for you, but you're really typically not going to put yourself in any bodily harm. So yeah. if you're smoking a joint and say, oh, well, this isn't so bad for me. Heroin must be, not be as bad as they marijuana. say it is because marijuana, they say marijuana is just as bad and clearly it's fine, right? So, I mean, it makes sense to think like, okay, well, if they're classified in the same, you know, as both schedule, being schedule one drugs, what means that one is worse than the other? If you try one and you see that it's fine. No, you're absolutely right. And then the way that we even have a conversation about drugs is we like bracket them all as like the end all be all. Um, one of my favorite fan pages on Facebook is called um, Christians for Michelle Bachman. It's a spoof page. Yeah, and like they'll have these memes that say, I smoke marijuana and now I'm gay. <laughs> and like, just silly things like that. But that's really how this country treats all drugs. So then when you try it for the first time, it's like, oh, that wasn't bad. But it's it's the greater problem with our criminal justice system as a whole, right? right. Which is that we're throwing people in jail um, for using the drug, for selling it, instead of actually trying to re- rehabilitate people um, who have a severe substance abuse issue. Well, you, let me let's let's go back to the conversation about the white black divide for a half a second because I was just looking at something. So, you know, when we, you know, back in the in in the old days, we'll call it um, the when the use of heroin was predominantly placed in poor black urban areas, the public response was zero tolerance and stiff prison sentences. Now today's heroin crisis is different and the demographics have changed. As I pointed out, 90% of first-time heroin users are white. Now, I'm not saying this, but there is um, the director of the White House Office of National Drug Control Policy, whose name is Michael Botticelli, says that because the demographic of people affected is more white, who are more middle class, that these parents feel more empowered. They are more likely to call legislatures. They are more likely to get angry with their insurance companies um, and ask them to cover certain types of treatments and they are better advocates so they have been instrumental in changing the conversation. Mm-hmm. I think I wanted to get your reactions to that because that presupposes that black parents did not do the same thing and I don't think that's true or is it? And so that's why I wanted to get you. It's absolutely not true, Selena. Well, no, we'll finish the so, statement and then I'll go. It's absolutely not true. Black families are pushing for this. Black Latino families were saying, listen, we, they need help. They have addictions. They were calling the elected officials. They were complaining. They were lobbying. They were protesting. But the problem is no one cares about black people so when they spoke it wasn't an issue and that's a problem and also unfortunately whiteness a lot of times equates to power or at least having a voice well and and also remember if you're speaking out and you're trying to contact police institutions and your local police department that you don't trust and don't connect with and you're telling them my son is on heroin you're risking him being taken to jail you're not who's to say that person is going to come enter into your home and try to have a sit down and figure out the best rehabilitation program for them to help them that's not what was going on and here's a perfect example so we're in Harlem on 150th Street between um, Amsterdam and St. Nicholas there's a police precinct. They used to call it the Dirty 30. Do you know why? Because the cops over there used to run into houses, beat people up, take their drug seller and arrest them. They would be they would plant drugs on people. They would, do, they would pull hits. You think a community who's dealing with p- police like that feel comfortable enough to go speak no. up about a problem that they're having, they felt like they had no outlets. Right. And, and just to add on to that, what happens a lot of times in disenfranchised communities, you become so used to oppression that you, it's almost, you're almost numb to it, right? And I think that a lot of times people internalize it and they don't speak out. And it's like, you know, when Uncle Billy comes home, you know, when Uncle Billy comes around for Thanksgiving, you know, to watch him. And hide or, the good sheets. Right, right. And, and also and hide the liquor and hide other things and make sure that he doesn't go to the corner store because you know what he's really going to do. So I think that a lot of times that's how um, black communities and black families have learned to cope with it because of outside oppression. 
And and I wanted to add this really uh, interesting statistic. And I know we were talking about how um, more more people and more white people are becoming addicted. I read that in 2014 that there were more than 40,000 people who died from a, um, a drug overdose, which means which is more than uh, Americans who were killed in car accidents. So I just wanted to add that factor in to talk about how much of a crisis this is. This is definitely a crisis, and we're starting to see more responses to it. But I just I wanna, feel like I, this has always been a crisis, and that we're only right. seeing responses to it now because it's ninety percent white, and no, that bothers the I mean, hell out it of bo- me. It bothers me as well. Um, unfortunately, there's two. Well, I'll say that for my closing, but it is what it is. What I do want to ask though is what this is. What does this addiction look like for you and your communities? And it's, it's, I think it's kind of funny because I'm asking that to Jackie and Alyssa. Well, it looks Selena, very oh, real. I'm sorry, Selena. Do you want to say something? Yeah, well, well, I didn't mean to cut in on them. I just wanted to let you know that I, I wanted to say back in though this is something that's been talked about in my families back in the 60s and the 70s the the people in my family who have been addicted to drugs they were addicted to heroin mm-hmm. now the people who that do drugs in my family mostly just do marijuana and yeah. we talked about the phenomenon of how black people and and pe- uh, uh, people of color aren't really gearing towards those hard drugs like that and they'll you know they'll be cool with a, with a, some beer and, and a joint well you know that's an interesting point before I answer the initial question that you were asked because a lot of people have made the argument that the reason why marijuana has to be legal is because when your kid can just walk into the marijuana shop and just buy the marijuana and it's the only thing that's being sold there, then they're not exposed to other drugs. But when your kid has to buy marijuana from a dealer on the street, the dealer may say, well, I got marijuana in my left hand, but hey, I got this let me open up the right side of my jacket because over here I got some heroin, I got some cocaine, I got this, that, and the third. And so if we legalize marijuana, that gets kids away from all those other drugs. But that doesn't deal with the underlying problem that we know where at least most of these kids that are getting addicted to heroin are starting with pills that they're finding in their parents' medicine cabinets. Uh, So that doesn't cover it all. As to Stanley's initial question, I have seen this heroin addiction uh, epidemic direct, you know, direct affect people I know. I have lost several friends to heroin overdoses in the past five years. I have, uh, it is, um, I don't know how else to describe it, but I have people in my life that I was very close to that always had drug problems, but their drug problem, as as Selena pointed out, was that they liked to drink a little bit too much and maybe smoke a little bit too much weed, and then they got addicted to heroin, and now they're dead. So, um, you know, in that sense, I have seen it directly affect uh, people I know, but I've also directly seen it affect, uh, you know, community that I grew up in and uh, even affect people that I don't particularly know. I know that uh, in my small town uh, where I grew up in the, in the small town that's next to it, uh, Island Park and Long Beach, the number of teenagers and high, high schoolers that have overdosed is, is absolutely astounding. Um, yeah. So Likewise. Uh, in in the you know predominantly white middle class town where I grew up, it is a very very pervasive issue. I'm in a huge problem, and I know you know I don't need to get too into it, but se- several people that I have known personally um, have overdosed and died from heroin, and this is something that I see happening in the town where I grew up um, in other communities. I mean, this is, and Alyssa spoke to it before. This has been. Um, an issue for decades, right? This isn't a new, it's a newer issue for white people um, in white communities, but this is nothing new. And uh, certainly I can say from my experience knowing people who have been addicted to heroin and who have died from um, an overdose that this is 
this is an issue that must be treated with more humanity. The answer is not, and I can tell you just from anecdotal experience, this is not an issue that you're going to solve by throwing people in jail. This is something that people need help, need medical assistance, need maybe counseling. But the the way to to address it and to fix it is not through these aggressive means by throwing people in jail because these are not bad people. These are people suffering from an addiction. Thank you very much for that, guys. So we do have Brother Omar on the line. I want to give him a chance to speak. Brother Omar, let your voice be heard. Uh, uh, yeah, this is uh, supposed to be the day of love, and uh, this is a very depressing topic. I don't know if you're familiar, if you read the book uh, by the late Claude Brown, who I had the privilege of meeting. We graduated junior high school together. Man, Man in the Promised Land? in the Promised Land, which yep. just, it, it, you're talking about uh, the 60s. They, they were flooding these neighborhoods up here in Harlem in the late 40s, early 50s. And it, and it's amazing how uh, you started off playing this record by uh, a rock group or whoever they were. And usually when they when they got these young cats uh, addicted to the uh, heroin, as people like Charlie Parker and them, they were saying, well, you know, they were musicians. So when they said musicians, ah, these guys, but they, it was supposed to en- enhance their sound. And if you listen to some early Charlie Parker, I mean, this cat is, is still blow your mind. And uh, the bottom line is that America has always been a drug-induced society. If you look at Coke and Coca-Cola and back in the, back in the 19, 18th centuries where, where there was always drugs in this society, the solution is you cannot jail people because of this. I don't care what their colors are. The bottom line is it's a slave-induced. Once you start messing around with that stuff, it's death. It's either death or jail. So the cure is that we have to become more open-minded like in Holland and a lot of European countries and say, well, look, I mean, enough is enough is enough already. We have close to two and a half million brothers and sisters uh, in prison as we speak and another seven uh, and a half million walking around with a ticket on them. So the taxpayer winds up having to pay for all these addictions, whether it's Becky or or Shaquan or whoever it is, we wind up suffering because we have to pay for this foolishness. And uh, thank you so much. This this is a very depressing uh, subject for, for a day of love. But maybe that's what we need, a slap in the face. Thank you very much for that, Brother Omar. So, guys, I do have to wrap this conversation up. Um, we, we still have a little bit more show left to go. Uh, Brother Omar made a couple of really good, a lot of really good points. Um, Man, Child in the Promised Land, by the way, is a very good book. I read it when I was in high school by Claude Brown, and it really paints like, a very clear and sobering picture of how bad the heroin epidemic was in Harlem. They used to call it horse at one time, or they say things like, I got the monkey on my back, and like just to talk about right. that addiction. And um, he also said something else. He said, you know, for a day of love, this is a really depressing topic to be talking about, but maybe we need it because maybe we need a slap in the face. When we first talked about having this as a conversation on the show for this Sunday, what I thought was, oh, it's a white people problem. And and I thought to myself, well, you know, they ignored black people, so now they can de- deal with the issue on their own. And that's not a good way to think about it, to be honest. It's actually a really bad way to think about it. But it's a slap in the face when you can have communities, whether black, white, green, yellow, Dominican, Puerto Rican, whatever, losing entire generations of their family, children who don't grow up to be adults because of an addiction, because of something that we're criminalizing instead of trying to find a human way to address. You have a major problem. And now, unfortunately, it took for, like, white middle-class communities being affected by this for this to become a big issue that we need to address. Unfortunately, it did take that, but at least now we can address it. We now have the opportunity to find different ways to deal with addiction. I was at a panel yesterday where they said you should treat gun violence like a public health issue because of the way that it spreads. You should treat drug addiction the same exact way as a public health 
issue. And when one person overdoses because of drug addiction or just because of the use of drugs, it doesn't just hurt that person and their family. It hurts the entire community. And we cannot continue to poison our communities, ignore our children, and criminalize a sickness that helps no one. It hurts everyone. And it's just dollars off of taxpayers' pockets and families losing people that they love. It's not worth it. So we'll be back after this quick break. When we return, we will be talking about the Clean Power Plan and how they got a major setback. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. Thank you. 